you're listening to the True Life Church podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. everybody doing this morning? And it has been a day already. Some crazy storms came through this past weekend, right? Hopefully your house is okay. Uh, I know not everyone in this house's house is okay, so some families are dealing with everything from flooding to, um, yeah, what's going on? Uh, So lift up the the Bowman family. Uh, So flooding and like soffits and some things missing. Some crazy storms last night. Uh, where the last couple of days come through. So hope you all are safe and tuning in. One of the byproducts of those storms, most likely, has been to take away, uh, like, technology here this morning. Uh, so we walked into, like, all the lights flashing, flickering, nothing, like, working, no internet. There's still no internet. We're not live right now. We're going to record this for later um, and hopefully post that on our Facebook and YouTube and everything. So there's no internet. And it's weird until you realize, like, how much internet you need to do the things you're used to doing. So like our band up here uses iPads with, you know, digital music charts. That was out um, connecting to uh, print anything through our Wi-Fi printer down the hall. So we couldn't print uh, paper charts, you know, either. So we're not streaming and a whole bunch of stuff. So it's been a fun morning. And through that has been yet again another opportunity to realize that our reliance and our dependence is not on Wi-Fi, but on the Lord. And we can come and worship Him regardless of internet, right? So, uh, it's a good reminder of that. One of the casualties of that is also, uh, a lot of my notes were in the cloud. <laughs> my sermon notes. And uh, when there's no cloud, <laughs> here they are. <laughs> there you're looking at it. So, um, between staying up till 5 a.m. last night, and we had a kid uh, that was just, he's fighting growing pains or something like that, little Caleb, so my wife and I are like struggling on the borderline of awakeness. Um, that should be coffee. It's not. It's lemonade. Um, but staying up to 5, working on message and other things, I'm thankful for that because I, I got, I've gotten myself out of the habit of doing that. I don't like to do that, but it's been a very busy couple of weeks here at True Life Church, and so I was trying to knock out some things for the message and get some things done um, for this morning. And I'm thankful for that because uh, with, even though there is things in the cloud somewhere, wherever that cloud has wandered off to, um, a lot of the message was still really fresh on my heart. So it's going to change a bit, but the scripture, the word of God is active again and living, and so it's going to change a little bit this morning. But we are in a series in Nehemiah. And hopefully it's been a good series for you. I know it's been, for me so far, learning and reading from God's Word together. Um, so I just want to pray. Uh, <laughs> I definitely want to pray before we start today's message. Noteless. Um, but uh, let's pray and turn our hearts to the Lord together as we prepare to open His Word and, um, and, and grow with Him. Dear Heavenly Father, we, just, uh, we lift you up. You've been praised this morning. And I pray that we continue to praise you. Uh, in this very moment, as we open your word together, as we study it, as you reveal more of your character and your goodness and your design for us, our lives, our hearts, this church, the world that you've created. So God, we are a sinful people. 
We are not perfect, and we have fallen very short, all of us, no matter how good we think we are, from your will and your way. So God, I pray that we ask forgiveness in this very moment, and we apologize to you, author and perfecter of our faith, and say, God, we, we have missed the mark. Forgive us. And then in that forgiveness, we find the unity in Christ and you. So God, be with us this morning. Thank you for the table that has been presented this morning already as a reminder of the thing that you told us to do to remember you as often as we gather. So God, we're trying to be obedient. Stir in us a heart to to do good works that would be the overflow of your spirit within us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've been in one, two, three, and four chapters now of Nehemiah. We're going to pick up into chapter five, and I, we're actually going to split it up. We're, we're only going to read half of chapter five today. My original plan uh, was to do all of chapter five, but we're going to split it up. We're going to do the first half of chapter five because it's, there's really so much here, and we're going to go on a scripture scavenger hunt in a bit, and I hope this I hope this ties some things together for you to look at even these Old Testament books and a much broader perspective. So we're going to be in the New Testament, uh, letters from Paul uh, to the Romans. We're going to be in the Old Testament, not only in our scripture reading today, but other passages from uh, Genesis to about Revelation almost. We're going we're gonna to cover it all today. Um, so I want to pick up, just as a quick reminder uh, of where we've been. We're in this series about building, right? And we've covered a few things. Number one of those is to build what's in front of you, to build where you are. And God has put... Uh, you, in this life, in this moment, right now, and now is an opportunity, it's a great time to say, hey, I'm going to build what's in front of me. Well, what's in front of you? Well, your relationships. We're not talking about necessarily building a building. That may be exciting. In Nehemiah, we're talking about building a wall, but it wasn't just building a wall. It was so much more than that. And when you and I work on building the relationships that we have for the good of Jesus Christ, so that they know who he is, so that we're edifying each other and building up each other to do good works. And the word tells us that. So I, I want to just encourage you, build where you're at. You've got a family or you're leading a family or you're part of a family. Guess what? That's where you start. Most of you, I'm sure, go to a job or go to school, right? You've got a circle of friends, a network, a little social group. That's where you start. I think that's that's the, the simplest and greatest way of evangelism is just talking to the people who are around you. And God has already put people in your life. I guarantee you not everyone you know is saved, right? Not everyone I know is saved. Good, there's your mission field. Start there. So we're going to build what's in front of us and, and really try to um, move our relationships forward and learn this book of Nehemiah or pull some things from it. Another thing we, we talked about is that building requires faithfulness. Right, we can't start something and then stop. Start something and then stop. We talked about the eyesore on I-4 last week, that concrete megalith that still stands as an icon of inefficiency. And it's still there. We, and we, we all know it. We've seen it. We've dr driven by it. And it's still not done. It's still not completely usable. After all these years, it's like 20, 21 years that thing's been sitting there. The majesty building. And isn't it majestic? New. Well, okay. wonder what other people see. I wonder what God sees when he's driving by your eye for. 
Is there an unused icon of inefficiency in your life, potential for the kingdom of God remaining untapped, unused, derelict, and other fun words? Finally, we talked about last week that you've got to be faithful with what you are being given. If you want a bigger area, if you want more, if you feel like God has even called you more, you've got to prove yourself faithful with what you have. So we looked at the parable of the talents, how the, you know, one man was, one servant was given five talents, another two talents, and another one. And the servant who was given the five, it was a lot of money, it was like half a million dollars in today's money, I guess, but the, the, the servant who was given five invested it and doubled it. And when the master returned, he gave him back now ten. The man who had two doubled his and gave the master when he returned now four. And the master's response, regardless of the amount, was, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, the man with the one, oh, he's going to hold on to that. So he buried it in the ground and did nothing. The master came back and was not pleased. Now, one day, our master, our Lord, is returning, yes? Like, that's kind of a premise of our faith. You know, it's, it's a pretty big deal. We have a conversation about that if you're anywhere other than that. But Jesus is going to return. I believe that. His word says that. His word has proven true, has been true, has been prophesied, and, and things have come to pass. There's 0% reason for me to doubt what is in this book. So I believe it's going to happen because it's proven itself true. So Jesus is going to come back. Are we good stewards with what we've already been given? Are we investing it in the relationships of other people? Are we re- investing it in, in the ministry work of God financially, time-wise, talent-wise? Because it's really comfortable to come in once a week and sit, isn't it? And have no obligations, have no responsibilities. But that's not what God has called us to, is it? No. Couch potato Christianity has been the real pandemic over the last two years. Sickness is bad, yes, but that's what it's really exposed, couch potato Christianity. Church, we will not be couch potato Christians, right? Amen, anybody? Amen. Okay, all right, okay. If I have to force you, I'll force you. If I have to teach you, I'll teach you. If I have to push you, I'll push you. But we are not going to be couch potato Christians, amen? amen. All right, thanks, Shannon. So we're going to pick up here in Nehemiah chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first half of today's message, which I've entitled, Ripe or Rotten. Had we had internet, I was coming in this morning to download pictures of fruit and trees. Instead, you get nothing. So I want you to imagine, all right, we're coming around to a tree in a little bit. So we're going to pick up here, we've, we've, they're working on the wall in chapter it's, uh, 4 of last week, they're building and ready to fight simultaneously. They're, they're putting a brick or a block down on one hand, and the other hand, they've got their hand on their sword or their spear, ready to rally to different parts of the city when these attacking tribes, or basically menacing tribes, threatening tribes on the outskirts, want to come and tear down the wall that they're building around the city of Jerusalem. Now again, this is after the exile into uh, Babylon, now Persia, and then passed around basically um, as like almost slave-like foster children to, between different kingdoms. The Medes and now the Persians from the Babylonians. And so now a, a remnant, a group has been allowed to return 
courtesy of King Artaxerxes and a man with a heart for God's work to rebuild the city and the wall around Jerusalem named Nehemiah. So that's why the book is called Nehemiah. So we've followed Nehemiah now back. His heart was broken, repentant in chapter 1 for the city and how, um, how fallen it had become and how laid to waste, and how people had just allowed it to happen. And so now they begin the work of building the wall. And there's these other guys named Sanballat, Tobiah, and some other people leading their own groups of Samaritans and other tribes, Ashdodites, because that's a fun word, Ashdodites. Uh, and, and there's a lot of people that don't like the city of Jerusalem being rebuilt again, because now Jerusalem will become great, and, and that's where people will want to live and be safe and city. With walls equals then temple, God's presence comes back, and everyone probably knew about the Ark of the Covenant. Had almost single-handedly defeated the, the Philistines a, a couple of times, and a very important influence. Now, that has been lost, but the presence of God is going to be in this place. And so they don't want that because they're worshiping their other gods. They have their own idols. They don't want to have some, the God, come back into that area because they like the things the way they had it. And so Nehemiah's here, they're building the, the wall back, and again, they've got it about halfway done. And that was where the song came of the journey that we were on last week. Oh, we're halfway there. Okay, so um, they've got the wall halfway done, and, and they're ready to build and fight. That's what we talked about last week. We've got to be ready to build and fight. We're not called to just do one, though one might be preferable. We're called to do both. To not only build our families, but also fight for them and fight for this family, fight for our faith. And there is coming, if not already, definitely will come a day, again, that's prophesied about in the book that is true, that there will come a day where we will have to take a stand for our faith, be ready to fight, to stand firm in the full armor of God we read also from Ephesians chapter 6. So all that recap, and now we're into chapter 5. And here we go. Now there arose a great outcry, of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. So after all of this, they're so concerned about the other tribes, they're building, they're fighting, they're ready to fight, they're blowing trumpets, they're stacking up the blocks on the wall. Where does the battle now turn to? Inside the walls. Now they're concerned and angry and upset and frustrated with their own people. Well, why? For there were those who said... With our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let's get grain that we may eat and keep alive. Now, their fields were outside the city, right? It's really hard to grow crops and wheat inside a city, right? So all their fields were outside the city. Well, the problem is that's where the bad guys are, Ashdodites and Samaritans. So there's a little famine going on, and everyone's inside the city, all right? And they want to say, we're a lot of people. We can go outside the walls and get grain, and there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. So there are people inside the city, many of them working on the wall. They were basically selling off their property and more, we'll get to that in a minute, selling off their property to these rulers who basically mega corporations acquiring everything, you know, just the Walmarts of the world just, just sucking up mom and pop small businesses, right? That's kind of what's going on. So the rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer, and meanwhile, almost everyone's invited and asked and expected to be building this wall. We're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now there's this king's tax, and basically what has happened is that they had charged them up to 12% interest. That's a lot of money. 
I don't care who you are. 12% of anything is a lot. And it actually goes against the law, uh, the old law from, from earlier in this book that Moses wrote. Regardless, we're going to pick up that. So they, they've increased the rate of the tax while all this is going on. So a, a bigger break between the rich getting richer and the poor getting poor. They've increased the tax rate. And you think, you think, you know, everybody's, we're all in the same boat, people. Like, we're all here trying to rebuild the wall. Why are you taxing me for it, right? For the field that is out there that I can't even work on. And I'm having to sell it, and you're charging me tax. Now, our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. And literally, you have some families selling their children for money to pay off these taxes, these increased taxes, because there's not a lot of food going around. So just like anything inflation-wise, the price goes up, right? You know, we're living in that just a tiny little itty bit, right, with gasoline prices. Just as a simple example, we can all understand that concept, right? So whatever's going on, Ukraine, government, world, Suez Canal, I don't know, gas prices up. So here we are, gas prices are going up, right? Does it mean there's less gas? No, it means there's more money for the same gas. Actually, on planet Earth, there probably is less gas, but that's an ecological side note. We're not going there, all right? So uh, we can understand basic economics, right? So this is the situation is. Now, how dire... Would the situation have to be, parents, for you to sell your own child? If you have more than one, do not choose. Do I get a choice? Which one? Because some days, no. No, 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 that's not what we're going for. You love your children. That's the hope, right? <laughs> right? Parents, please. Anyone am in that. We love your children. Yes, yes. No, any good parent doesn't want to sell off their child. And that's how the dire the situation is here in the Jerusalem to get a little bread, to get a little sustenance, to get the next meal. Goodbye, little Billy. It's been great raising you for the last eight years. Congratulations being an adopted slave into this guy's family. Now you have to wash his dirty sandals. I'll wave to you on the street when I see you, son. Like, just, what? This is really messed up, right? So this is all going on. As Nehemiah hasn't been there probably all that long yet, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. So Nehemiah is he's now in this either, they're so focused on building the outside that now the inside becomes the focus. And the inside is a hot mess. Because all of this, prior to Nehemiah's arrival, has been allowed to continue. These were not habits that started when Nehemiah came. These were habits that were existing with the previous governors of the city of Jerusalem and Judea before Nehemiah came back into the picture. All right? So Nehemiah's picking up into all this and is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. I took counsel with myself. And your version may say something like, I, I thought very seriously or contemplated very heavily about this. In other words, so he's very angry. And when you and I are angry, we like to do something about it quickly, right? And when you're building something, there's going to be a battle. We talked about that this past week and, or two weeks ago also, right? Has anyone been in a battle this week because you're trying to build something? Anyone? 
I have. Man, spiritual warfare is like a real thing. I'm trying to build my family. I'm trying to work on things. And we've had some battles. It's been tough. It's not been easy. One of those battles is y'all keep bringing me Sour Patch Kids. And I love and appreciate you for that. The problem is I don't, I'm trying to make changes. Like I have five bags of Sour Patch Kids in my office. I can't eat them. I'm not eating them, y'all. I'm doing healthy. Give me a gift card to Jason's Deli Salad Bar or something like. I love you and thank you for that. But I'm making some changes. It's been a battle. Sour Patch Kids, no, no, stay strong. And, but the battle goes so much deeper than that. I'm talking about like angst between family members and spouses and relationships. Houses flooding. And Ben and I talked about that. Uh, was that was it yesterday? You know, because this is not the Bowman's first flooding. <laughs> For 40 days and 40 nights, they were in another ark a few years ago. Uh, in an apartment on the bottom floor, it flooded. And meant some of you were even maybe there in our church at that time. Helped them move out of that environment into a new environment, and I was talking with Ben, i got to champion that for a second, because I love seeing God work in y'all's lives, and this is just a tangible example of that, and I'm going to pick on him, um, but because uh, he shared this with me, and uh, you know, like, it's like, it's a simple thing, because last time, was it four or five years ago, maybe, y'all got flooded out of the last place, uh, and, and Ben, I know you're not on the microphone, but what, how, how, would, how did it go last time? <laughs> Right. Yeah, it was really stressful, and I didn't Okay, so house is flooding again, slab leak, bad, with all the rain probably not helping. Who knows what's going on? And and then last twenty four hours. See, this is the life change we're talking about. And this is what Jesus does. And we're going to come to this. And thank you for sharing that. And if you want, man, if you want some encouragement. You want to partner with somebody? Ben, our elders, uh, so many good people in our church. We're meant to be doing life together. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens, one man sharpens another, right? You're not being sharpened. You're sitting dull and dank in a drawer. And you will rust. Sharpen each other. All right, so I just, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for God working in Ben's heart, especially over the last year, year and a half or so. Um, so that his response now to this similar exact circumstance is now completely different because the heart has changed. Same man, mostly same body. He's got fit. Different insides. And I, again, we had a, had a moment this past week where it was easy for me to be angry and go to action. And that's the natural response. It's a human response. It's not the godly response. And what this shows is that Nehemiah is a godly man. And just like Jesus, sitting quietly and calmly, braiding a whip before he went into the temple and turned the tables, was very prepared in the righteous anger. So Nehemiah is contemplating, took counsel with myself. And then when his heart is right, and he's not acting out of anger, I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you, you're exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. I pulled everybody together. You're all going to hear this. This is going to go viral because you're all going to be there for it. Bring everybody together. Put your bricks down. Put the sword down. Put the spear down. Put the trumpet down and come on. 
we're going to talk about this. Bring everybody together. And I said to them, now we, as far as we're able, we've brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. We've been in slavery for 70 years. We know what that li- that's like from another nation. Why then, on earth, are you doing that to your own selves? We've brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. You ever love it when you just like, you can put someone right in their place and have no response? Ask my wife. I'm like, uh, but, uh, you're right, honey. All right, she's right a lot of times. All right. But this is coming from a godly perspective. And against this, there's no argument, right? You can disagree with someone else's perspective. You can disagree how they vote. You can disagree with how they handle their finances. You can disagree, you can disagree, you can disagree. But against this, there is no argument. And I couldn't find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. That's probably putting it mildly, right? You're selling off your children for you other rich people who are collecting taxes. You're buying their children. Like, it's messed up, you know? There's, there's not that many people there, you know? Maybe 40,000-ish plus. Like, people know people. Like, like you'd be buying Caitlin or Olivia. Someone would buy Ryan. Someone please buy Ryan. I'm just kidding. So you know, that is just weird. Like you're crossing paths with people. You know, it's just, ah, it's just, this is not good. Ryan, go clean my shoes. <laughs> Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? Walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations or enemies. They're making fun of you because you were slaves. Now you're enslaving your own. You're making a mockery of our people. You're making a mockery of our laws. Which they don't do that. You're making a mockery of obedient giving to God because now you're hiking the taxes up. This is not good. Ought you not to be walking in fear of God? Aren't you afraid of God's wrath? You just spent years in slavery. Aren't you afraid from the prophets of Jeremiah and Isaiah that said all that was going to come to pass? Oh, it came to pass. Oh, bad slavery. No, you're doing it again. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Now, at this point, Nehemiah, he's not taking a salary. He does not take a salary at all. They're being, supplant, or they're being supported financially. He and his whole bunch of people he brought over with them from King Artaxerxes from Persia. Think about this. They had to raise no money to build the wall. It wasn't a fundraising campaign. It wasn't a building campaign. The money to pay these people, a day's wage and all that kind of stuff for the product, was, had been financed by King Artaxerxes when Nehemiah went and asked, hey, can I go do this? He said, yeah, take what you need. That was back in chapter 1. And so money's not the issue here. To build the wall, to do what's actually called to do, money's not the issue. But people be greedy. And yes, that's incorrect grammar. People be greedy. 
Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. I'm paying out of pocket to make sure this thing happens. Let's abandon this exacting of interest. Just stop it all. Return to them this very day. Give their fields back. It's their field. It's been in their family for like 18 generations. Give them their field back. Give them their child back. It's their kid. You didn't birth them. Give them their kid back. Return their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money and grain and wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. And they're called out on it, much like the prophet Nathan approaching David about his sin with Bathsheba. You called out. Give it all back. And then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And they bent the knee, not to Nehemiah, but because Nehemiah had called out the law and what was right and what was good and what was godly. So we're going to do these things and require nothing from them. It's done. You're right. We'll give it back. We'll do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. Now you're swearing. Like in front of a trial, you know, you put your hand on the book type of thing. I do solemnly swear, whole truth, nothing but the truth. Like you're swearing. This is going to happen. You are going to give it back, and everybody is a witness, and they're going to hold you accountable. And if you don't do that, you're going to have a mob on your hands, so you better pay attention. And I also shook out the fold of my garment. With probably dust, because remember, the previous chapter tells us that Nehemiah wasn't even changing his clothes. He's so busy building. So he's probably sweaty, nasty, dirty, tired, covered with brick and, and brick parts and dirt things and granules. And he's like, I'm filthy. But as an example, so you remember this, I shake this out and the dust like pig pen from you know, Charlie Brown just clouds out from Nehemiah. So look at this. So may God, so may God shake out every man from his house and keep his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And then what? And then praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. You see, praising is the natural response after understanding our need for repentance. I'm going to pull some things out of this. Some of the kids down the hall, I love this, are going to be looking at this passage. So you're welcome to keep your finger in Nehemiah, but here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6. King Saul was a bad king, not a godly king, and they need a new king. And so the prophet Samuel has been tasked by the Lord to go anoint a new king, and so he's searching for this man, leads him to this family, and this family has lots of sons, and all these sons are probably attractive and tall and, and strong and built like tanks. And when they were brought before him, when the sons came, all these different boys, young men, Samuel, he looked on Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is, again, this is the guy. Tall, dark, handsome, Dreamy good looks, really strong, 
That's what we're looking for in a king, right? Okay. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If you don't have that verse underlined in your Bible, I encourage you to do that right now. It's such a great verse. It's such a great reminder for us. The Lord is not looking at what we look at. The Lord looks at our hearts. And He can see our hearts. And what we attempt to hide is not hidden from Him. And we conceal from others is not hidden from Him. Our intentions all on display for the Lord. So Eliab was rejected, and eventually it leads it down to a young shepherd boy named David. And you're probably familiar with the story from there. There's a giant and some kings, and he's on the run for a while, some caves. There's some psalms and some other things. We're not talking about David today. We're talking about how the Lord looks at the heart. Now, as Nehemiah and the people there in Jerusalem are building this city, they've got the outside beginning to look good. But what if the inside is actually the problem? So you can go to the gym. You can look fit. You cannot eat Sour Patch Kids. But if your inside is the problem, your outside don't matter. If your inside is the problem, your outside doesn't matter. The Lord looks on the heart. There's going to be a lot of attractive people in hell. By our standards, attractive. But the Lord does not look on us the same way that we look on each other. Now, why do we go there? Well, because the Lord is looking at these men's hearts there in the city of Jerusalem and using Nehemiah to call it out. And I pray you've got a Nehemiah-like person in your life, someone who's able to tell you the truth and call things out. Hopefully it's your husband or your wife if you're married. Hopefully it's your brother and sister if you're not. Hopefully it's someone within this body of Christ who you would trust to speak truth into your life based on God's word. Because the truth that you tell me, I don't like that shirt, that might be true. That's an ugly shirt. You're right, Josh. That's a, that might be true, all right? But that's not in here. So we're not going to gauge my shirt based on these standards. Again, we're going to look deeper. And God's word and walking with the Spirit gives us an ability and opportunity to use this thing called discernment. And then stand on the word of truth and call this out in someone else's life. Not call out my opinions in somebody else's life. Not call out my wishes in somebody else's life. Not call out my desires in somebody else's life. But call out the word of truth in someone else's life. And that you can stand on. Everything else is void. Worthless. This. Let's stand on that. So we're going to be building people whose insides really matter. Because we are, we are building right now as a church. you realize that? We've talked about it a little bit. Next Sunday is going to be very important in the life of our church. Message time next week. Because God has, in many ways, used the last couple of years to tear blocks out of our wall. 
And our church got smaller. Well, now we're getting a little bit larger again. And before we worry about the outsides, we, got, we, we need insides. We need good and right hearts before the Lord. So this is a reminder here in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that God looks on the God looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. Now, why do I say that? Because we're going to go to a couple of heart passages. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, now Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 is where we're going to begin. And Jesus is saying here, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy. I'm telling you, Holy Spirit's awesome leading us. Because the, the, the un, I, so I don't have the kids' curriculum down the hall, but they're learning about 1 Samuel 16 also. It's just really cool. Love it when God leads us together. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, that's not tangible. It is intangible and also timeless and eternal in Christ. Everything that we have, everything you can see, everything that you can touch will one day be gone. Including this ugly shirt. And the Sour Patch Kids. All gone. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now let's ask a question here. Let's put Nehemiah together with 1 Samuel 16. The leaders there in charge of the city of Jerusalem who were overtaxing people and literally buying other people's kids, where were their hearts? Where was their treasure? They be greedy. Right? It was in more money. I'm going to take advantage of this economic opportunity. Bitcoins are falling from the sky. We're going to go cryptocurrency. It's going to be amazing. We're just going to take advantage of this economic situation and stock up all the toilet paper and then resell it on eBay for $55. We're going to take advantage of this and make a buck. I almost forgot for a second until I went there that there was the toilet paper pandemic there too. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's your treasure? Because you find your treasure, you find your heart. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Literally, he's actually talking about blindness here. Like if you're blind, you're, you're in the dark. So wouldn't we rather prefer light and being able to see where we're going? Yes, guess what? We know what the light is. If your whole body is full of darkness, if the light, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Because you're being misled. You're lying to yourself. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then here at the end, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. And to be honest, not adding to his word because nothing needs to, but you cannot serve God and anything else either. But this is where we like to put our stock. This is like the, where we 401ks and retirement plans and how much money you make an hour and what the minimum wage salary is and what you have saved in your bank account for a rainy day, how much you need for the vacation trip or the cruise you want to go on. It all comes down to money. So you got a lot of ha- you got to have a lot of it, right? 
So put your faith in that, says the world. You need a lot of money. Ask anyone who was alive in 1929 how that worked out for them. You probably can't. They're dead. But history books tell us that it was a very, 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 very bad time. Crazy amounts of suicides because people that had their treasure and money lost it. But if your treasure is in heaven, you're fine, man. It's just stuff. Is it easy? No. But that's not where your treasure is. You cannot serve God and money. So again, now we're back to Nehemiah. You cannot serve God and money. Who are these men in the city of Jerusalem serving? Were they serving God and building the wall? Or were they serving money and man and exacting a tax? Which one? Should be, should be pretty easy, right? It's a, it's a no-brainer question. Okay, so who do you serve? Who are you serving? Who is your master? Because you can't serve God and money. Why? Jesus said so. A couple pages over, Matthew chapter 7, I'm beginning verse 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And that's why you see a lot of prosperity gospel and other types of churches who are all about that money, deceiving countless, countless people. Fortunately and unfortunately, a secular network called Discovery Plus has released a documentary calling out Wolves and sheep clothing in the church that was formerly known as Hillsong. I actually encourage you to watch it because it paints a picture, if you were unaware of certain things going on there, how deep the rabbit hole goes. And it's sad. My heart breaks because there are Christians there. There are people who believe Jesus is Lord all over the world because of Hillsong Church. And I'm thankful for that. But they made a lot of mistakes. And now they're on display for everyone to see. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their what? Fruits. Now again, today's message is titled, Ripe or Rotten. There were going to be pictures now inserted into this part where we could guess the fruit if it was ripe or rotten. So imagine a yellow banana. Imagine it. Is it ripe or rotten? Imagine a black banana with tiny little annoying fruit flies around it. Is it ripe or rotten? Okay, imagine an apple. Red. Looks tasty. It's got the fake wax shine on it from Publix or whatever, right? Ripe or rotten? Okay. And, and now imagine an apple like my son Caleb likes to, he, he loves apples. He hates them chopped up. He only likes to eat them whole. I don't know what his deal is. It's weird. He only likes a whole apple. And he'll go, mm, apple, 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 apple. And i give him apple. He sounds like the Tauntaun, you know, from, from Empire Strikes Back. So he's eating the apple. And then, like, no lie, days later, 
we will find half-eaten apple and only a place a two-year-old would think a logical place to leave an apple. Like it's just under things, on top, like in a cupboard, shelves, weird places, in the TV stand, like who puts an apple there? And he would go back and want to eat it. Like, apple, I mean, no. Why would I prevent my son from, from eating the four-day-old apple, half-eaten? Because it's rotten. It's spoiled. You can't eat it. Not good. He gets sick from that. So then he freaks out when he gives him a new apple chopped up. Riper rotten. It's easy to see when it's fruit. It's hard to see when it's us. And I'm not going to apologize. We're going to go long today. By long, I mean maybe 10 or 15 over. Hopefully that's all right. We're in the Word of God. I'm just, why we're here, right? Like we might, even, might not even sing these songs after. I don't know. We're going to learn. We already sang four. That's cool, right? <laughs> Yay. You will, rec- all right, you will recognize them by their fruits. And we sang about that in the very first song. Y'all realize that? It all comes down to this very end of the first song we did. You should go back and listen to the lyrics. Hopefully it'll mean, mean something. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. What are your fruits? What is the fruit that you are producing? The world will produce diseased, fake non-sustaining, not real, not life-giving fruit. On our countertop, there is a basket of real fruit. And then like this far away, there is a basket of fake fruit. I think this is probably a decoration thing my wife chooses so that when the fake, when the real fruit goes bad or goes away, there's still fake fruit there. You have to ask her, I guess. Caleb actually has tried on a couple of different occasions to eat the fake fruit and want the fake fruit because on the outside, it's good, right? There's a, there's a couple of these styrofoam bite marks in it. Uh, and very quickly, the two-year-old realized, not real fruit. Blah! That's how he goes. Blah! And puts down the bite-marked fake fruit. You're going to be recognized, people, by the fruits. Why is our fruit important? Oh, because it goes back to the beginning. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. I mean, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. I just want to read this one verse, then we're going to go to chapter 3. And God is resting, and He's looking out the creation. Verse 9, and out of the ground the Lord God made up to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Lots of trees, to recap, two trees specific in the middle, the tree of life 
and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Next chapter, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of this tree, knowledge of good and evil, that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will know, tree of knowledge, the good and the evil. You'll know it all. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, it looked great on the outside, the wall was good, but maybe the insides were bad, and that the tree was good to be desired to make one wise, ooh, this fruit looks knowledgeable. <laughs> I'm just going through like your produce section. This fruit looks knowledgeable. You pick it up, it goes, no! So anyway, um, it looks to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate, and the eyes of both were open, and they knew, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the, cool, in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, never done that before, because I was naked, didn't know I was naked until a little bit ago, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? No shortage of trees, you choose that one? The man said, the woman whom you gave me, try to pass off the blame, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, now I pass off the blame, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So they just pass off the blame, right? So in the middle of the garden you have the trees and these trees have fruit. And one fruit is the tree of life and the other fruit is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So that's the fruit that they ate. That's the fruit that we are living in. Now, fast forward now this over here. In the garden, you have two types of trees, right? The main ones that we're talking about, the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, and the other one, the tree of life. Okay, everyone clear on that, right? Lots of trees, two specific, one bad, one good. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life. Now, let's go over to John chapter 14, verse 6, and specifically, and then we're going to go over chapter over. Jesus said to him, Talking to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the, if you know it, and the life. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way to life is through him. So have the Genesis thing in the back of your mind. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, a little bit over, next chapter, chapter 15. Jesus, we know, is life. All right? Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine his father, the gardener. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, cut it off. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. We've been through a pruning that it may bear less fruit. No, every time you prune something, it bears more fruit. It may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, stay in the vine, and I in you. We'll be vines together. You're a branch. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Stay in the vine. I am the vine, he reminds us again. I am the vine, same thing as verse 1. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do 
nothing. And we like to think of it in our own worldly way of apart from God, we can do lots of things. Nope. It's not anything that matters for eternity. Nothing. Everything you see is gone. Anything you make is gone. Any place you live is gone. Think about that. Gone. But I'd worked on it. I'd stored them in the, in the cloud. Internet says not today. It's gone. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But this, my Father, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and then so prove who? To be my disciples. Bearing the fruit proves that we're the disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. So, two trees in the garden, bad tree, good tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life, good. Fast forward, New Testament. Whose life? It's not a tree anymore, it's, it's Jesus. You, you can still choose this tree. Think about that. Our lives are an opportunity to go back to Genesis. And despite them bringing us into a sinful place, sin entered the world. We are a sinful people, are we not? Yes. But guess what? We can still go back and choose the right tree. Because the tree is of life is Jesus. Life is Jesus. Jesus is life. We can still go back and choose life right now. Check, check this out. Turn over to Romans chapter 11. Paul is now writing to the church in Rome. And he's writing specifically to the Gentiles. Case in point, that's us. Unless you are Jewish, we are not coming from the Jewish perspective into Christianity. That may have been your route, but most likely not, especially in America, all right? There's Messianic Jews and other groups, but by and large, now we're a history of Christ-following peoples, all Gentiles, because we weren't Jews. So this is actually, in a way, almost through time written to us. And Paul's writing, if some of the branches were broken off, and this is the tree and the genealogy, right? If some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, you now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. In other words, you're a, you're, you're a Gentile branch grafted in to now the tree of life. You, you're sharing in the inheritance that is all of our Old Testament. What we're reading about in Nehemiah and Genesis and all the other places in there. You're now grafted in to share in the benefits of that. So don't be arrogant toward the other branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Hold this thought because we're coming to a place that's really cool. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. Some people had to leave so you could come in. They were broken because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Again, now we're back to Nehemiah. Don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? Isn't that what should be stirring you, you up to do the right thing, to produce fruit, to be a godly people, to have a godly heart? 
Don't you fear God? For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Because God, as Jesus talked about, Jesus, I am the true vine, my Father is the gardener. There's going to be some gardening being done, and some gardening is being done in our church and the global church and the American church, and I'm thankful for it. Because God's are coming pruning, and it's showing us who the church really is, who we've really called to be. And it's a great time to be at True Life Church. It's a great time to be at True Life Church. And they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. If they begin believing, for God has the power to graft them in again. Repentance, forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness, grace. For if you are cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, you come from worldly people, you are sinful people, and you're grafted contrary to nature and cultivated olive tree. Now you've been planted in a specific spot in a field designed to produce fruit. You were like a little weed. You got lucky, but now, now you're in there. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So we are inheritors of the history of the Israelites and the Jews. The genealogy that the young adults have studied through now through the early uh, chapters in Matthew, we know where all that comes from. And now we get the benefit of not having to be exiled for 70 years in Babylon. We get, we get the privilege of not having to, to, to cross a Red Sea running from our lives, for our lives from, from a pharaoh. Being in bondage and slavery down in Egypt. We, we are inheritors of the benefit that there is not a nine-foot Goliath standing in front of you, taunting our Lord. We, we get to piggyback on that, and now because of Jesus Christ, we are offered the opportunity for life. We live in a dangerous time because right now on your smartphone you can pull up knowledge. And the young generations who don't know what an Encyclopedia Britannica is, much less where to find it in a library, much less where to find the library, they pull this up and in eight seconds returns 15 plus million possibilities of the answer that they are looking for. Then they get to selectively choose the one that best fits their mindset and their situation. Therefore, that must be true. And so what's going on right now, whether we think about it or not, is the supplanting of our, the, God's authority in worldly knowledge. And so our reliance is shifting, not from God, but to money. Not from God, but to knowledge. And so our world is right back in the garden again, choosing the wrong fruit. Are you all tracking with me on this? Does this make sense? And so how important is it for you and I to be the light in the darkness? Because they don't even know how dark their darkness is. They need a light. And we are the light of the world. We're the light of the world right now. It's not we will be the light of the world. We are the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus' life is in us. We got to choose life. 
And here's where things get actually really cool. There's no pictures. But I looked up grafting and like how they actually do this in plant world. Botanical things. All right, so you take a little stem fragment and you slice it near the bottom on the trunk, especially of a, of a tree. We're talking about a tree, right? Vine and branches, big things. Right? We're not talking about splicing weeds, you know, <laughs> right? We're talking about actual decent sized plants, right? And so you, you take this stem and, and you cut a little slit at a specific angle into a certain part, the basal. B-A-S-A-L, the basal section of the tree, and you put that little thing and you tape it all together. All right? Now, eventually, this thing becomes grafted into and part of the tree. All right? So this little part, the top of the stem that we've cut off, now grafted in, the top part of that's called the scion, S-C-I-O-N. And the scion is what determines the quality of the fruit. The root it's grafted into determines how high that split off will go. It determines the nutrition, and it determines the overall health of the tree. So you have the root, and you have the scion grafted into the scion, grafted into this tree. Now, you and I, and what Paul's talking about is we've been grafted in. We're the scion. So he's, what he's literally writing about here in verse, um, what is it, uh, da 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 uh, 18, don't we, if you are, remember, it's not you, it's not the scion that supports the root, it's not the little split-off part, but the root that supports the scion. This is biologically accurate, way before they had microscopes. How cool is that? Just, just as a side note. And so we're seeing here, not only science being proven again, but how more important God's way is above our way. And we're grafted into the tree of life. And what I'm, I want to just challenge you this morning. You have an opportunity daily to pursue knowledge or to pursue life. But in him is life. And so if you want to learn something, learn to live this. Stop Googling your problems. Start praying to God about them. Choose life. We, we, we have such a privilege to be grafted into this tree. And to tie this all back together, let's put ourselves for a moment in Jerusalem. Now we're back to where we began. Is that you and I, we're, hopefully we're trying to build something here for God's kingdom here at True Life Church, right? That's, that's what we're here to do, right? Otherwise, this is, a, a, this is the worst social club ever. I mean, like... <laughs> You, you can get a whole bunch of other needs met a whole bunch of different ways. This is not for that purpose. This purpose is for the edification, the building up of each other, and the knowledge and increase in the word of God. To equip the saints, us, to go out and be salt and light in the world. Because the world's choosing the wrong tree. And we have an opportunity to intersect them and say, no, no, you don't have to choose that tree. That's the bad tree. Good tree, right here. Just right here, right here, and can be, after here, right here. Choose life. Choose Jesus.
And if we put ourselves in Jerusalem, in that moment where Nehemiah is confronting these leaders, now that begs the question. All right. A bad tree produces bad fruit, and a good tree produces good fruit. What type of fruit are we producing? Where is our heart? Where is our treasure? What's the byproduct of your life? Who will know Christ because you lived? Who will come to know Jesus because you spoke of the tree of life instead of knowledge? Who will have their life changed because you stood by your brother and sister in Christ when they needed godly counsel and direction and ironing, sharpening iron? Where's your heart? Because if anything, I know this. We can build a building and be a horrible people. We can stay in this location and renovate it maybe, spruce up the outsides and still not be a godly people. We can buy land, sell land, acquire real property. You can have a brass plaque with your name on it, on the pew you choose to donate, or someone else chooses to put their rear end week after week and not be a godly people. It comes down to the heart. And what we are building here and what God is calling us to build is already here. It's you. You are the church. And God is building his church. And you and I are part of his church, the bride of Christ. So what type of people do you want to be built into? Open question. What type of people do you want to be built into? Christ-following people, what else? Godly people, what else? Builders, what else? Givers, what else? Good stewards, what else? Disciples, servants. How about kind-hearted people? How about people who know the word and live by it? How about D, all of the above? But what that means is that you and I got to do our part. We've got to humble ourselves at the feet of God and say, God, I want to be a good block, but I'm a broken one. And there's some places that only you can fix. There's some cracks in my past I'm not proud of that you can forgive. 
There's an opportunity for me to maybe even be a cool corner piece. Because anyone who really likes brownies really likes corner pieces. Your others, anyone else is misled, I will pray for you. You could be a corner piece. I have a really strong presence for the kingdom of God right here in our town. God is building us. And in order for us to be built into the church he calls us to be, it requires your and my heart to be his. So that the fruit of us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what people see because that's the fruit of the Spirit in us. And our byproduct, what we're passing on, is domino affecting into other people's lives, just like Ben, who's been a Christ follower for how long? Since he was eight years old. And really, and I've known him for about eight years, really only the last year, and his wife was saying that, the last year has been an absolute changing point in his life. It's not how long you've been a Christian. It's what are you doing about it? What are you doing with it? Are you following what he told you to do? Because I love you, but from the bottom of my heart, I, I hope you hear this truth in love. I, I, just please, I, I'm not, I don't want to be mean. That's not why I'm saying anything about what I'm about to say. I love every single one I see and don't see here today from the bottom of my heart. I want to lead you, I want to lead you well. But if I'm going to do that, I've got to say this. If you're not going to be a part of what God is doing here, fixing each one of our hearts. I want to either A, help you to do everything that I can do to, to show you that that is what God is calling us to do. Or B, there's probably another church that needs an empty seat filled every third Sunday. Tracking with me on that? No, this is, this is not part-time job. This is... This is life, because Jesus is life, and we as a church need to choose life. The beauty of that is that you're not alone, like we're in this life together. A whole garden of us, there's an Amanda tree, there's a Jeremy tree, there's a Samuel tree. We're a garden together. And I want to grow with you. And I want to build with you. Last week, I got to FaceTime my twin sister. And in my garden, which is somewhat disheveled and not kept up with as good as it should be, I've had um, rosemary bushes that just, they started this big. And no matter what the last four and a half years has brought, weather-wise, they just, they won't die. These rosemary, rosemary bushes are intense. So I was FaceTiming my sister, showing her my, my crappy garden. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And she's like, hold on, go back. And I go back. She's like, is that rosemary? I'm like, yeah. And it's just overgrown. And she's like, oh, it's so beautiful. 
I've like, she's like on the FaceTime with me, like, I don't think I've ever seen rosemary bushes that large before. Like, they come up to here. I mean, it's massive rosemary. If you need rosemary, don't go to Publix. Come to my house. I will load you up with fresh rosemary. I'm not, it's not a joke. I need to do something with it. Um, and, but she, and that's how it is. And I'm like, I'm just like, nah, it's this talent thing I've got. I don't really use it much or whatever. It's my heart or whatever. And God comes like, oh, so beautiful. Like, it's not the way I see it. It's the way someone with an appreciation for rosemary bushes sees it. And she's, just, she's like, hi, oh, can I have your rosemary? I'm like, well, it's weird. But anyway, so that, God's not looking at us the way we look at each other. He's looking at our hearts. So my prayer for us this week, and we're going to close. We don't need to respond as far as songs concerned. My, my, our response today is going to be, how do you live this next week? What do you do with what we've just learned? What are the places in your heart that you're finally going to turn over the keys to God and surrender and say, you fix me broke? What are you going to do with the pursuit of knowledge or the pursuit of life? And also, who you're going to share that life with? Because someone out there is dead. And they don't even know it. What an opportunity because of your witness, for them to be grafted onto the tree of life forever. God is building our church. And for each one of us, it starts here. Because what God is building in our church does not need a building. We have one cool really handy around July. But what God is building is this. And I want this for every single one of us to be growing together, grafted in the same tree in life. And not just what they think is life. Life to the fullest. What tree are you going to choose this week? How is your heart? And are you going to let God build it into something better than you ever could have thought? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.